Hello, and welcome to the solo episodes of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. My name is Marie Gervais, and I'm going to talk about leadership incidents that I've experienced, that other people have told me about, or that you email me so that we can include them inside the podcast. We will analyze the incidents from the perspective of principles involved, strategies that could be deployed, what was done, what could have been done, what worked, and what didn't. I know you'll enjoy them, and I really look forward to hearing from you about the incidents that you'd like to hear on the Culture and Leadership Podcast solo episodes. This is the first in a series of three incidents where I'm going to talk about leading when you have no power. And in this first one, I completely failed the mission. And I want to show how even when something goes very badly, you can find a way to learn from the situation and move back into it. The other two incidents do not involve me. Uh, they involve other people and each had varying degrees of success. So I'm going to talk about the principles involved, the relationships and the goals involved, the actual problem what people did, what they could have done differently, and then a few strategies that you could apply if you were faced with a similar situation. So this one is about a, a context where I was hired as a contractor into a tech situation where I would be writing curriculum. I was the only non-tech person. I was the only woman on the team. And there were a lot of racist comments that were going back and forth between visible minority managers and employees on the team, between the white manager and the visible minority managers, and also between one of the departments. Whenever we would have an inter-team meeting, then these kinds of racist comments, they were framed in terms of being jokes, but they weren't funny. So what I initially did was I identified the problem as being racist and unjust and creating a climate of toxicity. And I really wanted to increase the sense of workplace safety. I didn't have any power in the situation. I was under scrutiny and micromanagement from the boss who was much younger than I was, didn't have the same amount of education or experience and really felt he needed to prove that he was better than I was. So it was a difficult situation on that end as well. I also came into a team climate of people who had been working together on a number of projects in different countries even, but the, as a team, they'd worked together over, over three or four years and they'd already established this dynamic. So I came in rather naively. So what did I do? I first tried to divert attention away from the racist comments by complimenting people regularly and by particularly complimenting the people who had been the butt of anybody's jokes and telling people publicly what was a great quality of that person. And this ended up backfiring because they were then further targeted. I was made fun of and everybody on the team made a more concerted effort to increase their racist so-called jokes. It was a really difficult situation and I felt quite powerless because it was a short-term contract and I don't think that I handled it very well. So I'm going to just talk a little bit about the principle, what I actually did and what I could have done differently and how. So the principle is that this is a situation of psychological workplace safety that's undermined and racist jokes are always poisonous and they indicate that there is high social dominance on a team. So when you have a lot of sort of alpha male type people who think that they need to prove that they are better than everybody else and consistently beat others down, then that's a sign of social dominance. You'll also see social dominance in the way people enjoy hurting each other's feelings and that given, you know, the opportunity to gain or choose to hurt someone. The other thing you'll see is narcissism. 
if you see uh, racism, you'll also see anti-women leadership, you'll see anti-peaceful conflict resolution, you'll see all the kinds of things that reinforce a hierarchy of toxicity. So that's the analysis of the situation. But the principle is that injustice and racism is an injustice. It cannot be allowed to continue. And toxicity in a workplace needs to be addressed or it simply gets worse. Now, the other piece that you need to think about in analyzing this is that people who have high social dominance, as the men in this group did, are dangerous. If you are seen as not conforming to what they think you should be doing, they'll crush you and they'll crush other people. So you have to think about what you're going to do so that you don't make things worse. What I actually did was just to shut down emotionally. I felt very triggered by it. And I just felt there was nothing that I could do. And I was completely cut off from any type of avenue to successfully resolve this problem. And when I tried to talk to a couple of the women in other departments, they were not interested in talking to me because I wasn't a full-time employee. I was just a subcontractor for a piece of the contract. And knowing the political climate, they didn't want to be involved with me in any way, even though it was just overtures of friendship. And then I realized that the political climate was much more complex than I initially thought it was. So that was my situation. So many people are in similar situations like that at work. What I could have done is a number of different strategies that I'm going to suggest to you. And then I'm going to tell you why I didn't do them and how I could get past that in the future if I ever face this again, and how you can use this learning. So first off, what you could do is to combat the racism by building a climate of safety quietly over time. So discreetly and quietly, tell people things that you appreciate about them so that you can build up some social capital, but don't do it publicly like I did, which caused everyone to be in a worse situation. Uh, You might also be able to suggest that at a team meeting, people think of something they appreciate on the team so we can build a climate of appreciation and encouragement. Now, in some cases, that will be received as something you can try. In other cases, that'll be shut down. But these are just a variety of strategies that you can look at. Another thing you could consider would be to confront the issue at a team meeting without accusing or blaming, because remember that when you have high social dominance, if people feel they have lost face, they will turn around and crush you and everybody else. So confronting the issue saying, you know, there's a lot of sort of joke insults that are going around. Don't use the word racism. I wouldn't because then what happens is people start looking to um, undermine it and prove that it's not there. So I would say in this case, there are these joke insults that are going around that I think are just not uh, providing a sense of safety in the workplace. And, you know, I don't like them very much. I don't know how other people feel about it, but it makes it hard for me to do my work. So then you just leave it, put it on the table and leave it. So you're confronting it in a cool way. You're not blaming anybody and you're being careful that you don't name the problem so specifically that it can come back to bite, like I said, the people in the group who were further targeted by comments. So that's another thing you could do. So that's confronting the issue publicly, but in a way that points to how you feel about it and how you're open to the fact that you might have uh, misunderstood it, but it's interfering with your capacity to work effectively. Um, Another thing you can do is to speak confidently to each of the people who seem to be the perpetrators of the jokes and say how those comments affect you. So I could have said, you know, so-and-so, when I hear these types of comments from you, I feel it's really undermining the sense of safety and ability for people to do their work. Everyone's watching their back when they hear these types of things. You may think it's funny, but it doesn't feel funny. So I could have done that to each of the perpetrators, the three who were the worst. I, I could have done that privately, but confidently and quietly. And again, in a way that I just, you know, I might even say, you know, it might just be me. I might just be misunderstanding that, but that's how it affects me. And then just leave it. Don't expect an apology or change of behavior. Just know that you have spoken it and it's been heard. Another thing you can do is to say nothing but document the incidents and then file a complaint. 
I could have done that, and, and that's also something I didn't do. I'll explain why later. We could watch, listen, and later write a complaint to the company with all the documentation once the contract is over. I could have talked to a higher authority explaining how to everybody's always uh, fearful, watching their back, nobody's doing their work because of these types of comments that are going around and undermining people's confidence in themselves, and then just see what happens. I could have become informed of new legislation. At the time, it wasn't there, but there is now legislation about psychological workplace safety. Uh, and employers can be brought to task for allowing a toxic workplace climate to continue. So I could inform myself about that and then bring that to the attention of the employer and say, did you know that there is psychological safety employer responsibilities? And I'm just bringing that to your attention because it's new legislation. I don't know if you've heard about it. So don't even mention the incident, but make them aware of that particular issue and then later see what the receptivity is. You could also just ask yourself if it's worth it and just look for another job, which is what I did. I thought this is not worth it. It's not working for me or for them. And I'm going to get another job. I already had another job. I just didn't think it through when I accepted it. I should have thought it through more carefully. But of course, that's always in hindsight. The other thing is to remember that those people who actively confront a bad behavior either privately or in public, are likely to be typically targeted further, but they feel more confident and strong because they spoke their truth to power. And so although the results that happen to them are typically not enjoyable, the thing is that they spoke their truth. And because they were able to speak their truth, they felt much stronger about it. And they then were able to go on to other circumstances and be strong. So the thing is, I didn't do any of those things. And I actually felt quite ashamed that I didn't because I feel very strongly about problems with racism in the workplace and have had to deal with them in other circumstances before and was much more effective. For the longest time, I just felt ashamed that I hadn't dealt with it. And so I eventually came to the conclusion that I had an emotional trigger. So I asked myself what that emotional trigger was. And this is really critical because if you are facing an incident that you seem to be unable to resolve, it's probably attached to some trigger somewhere from your life. And if you think about it and say, what could that be? I wonder where that came from. Eventually it will come to you. And it did come to me. So the trigger was that when I was a child, I was bullied by a person who was really similar to the white boss who was so intimidating in this particular incident. And he wasn't the only one. The others were also intimidating, but he was the one who particularly triggered me. And he was the one I was directly reporting to him. So I realized that there was this emotional link and that as a child, this 10-year-old boy had been beating me up when I was six. And uh, it took a while until the problem was resolved. And I just felt very tiny and small. And the trigger reminded me in some way emotionally of what I'd experienced at that time with this one bully. And once I realized that, I thought, you know, that was a, a reaction of a child to a situation. I'm an adult now. I don't have to react the same way. And I felt quite a bit freer after that. And I thought, you know what? I do not have to be shut down by this. I don't have to accept to be intimidated. I'm a perfectly competent adult with a lot of experience, education, and capacity. And I can certainly move into a situation and be calm and explain it and continue to work quietly towards its resolution without being emotionally triggered. And I really felt freeing and allowed me to confront some other circumstances that I was facing in my life that were not the same, but that could have also been linked to that trigger of being beat up for almost a year by a bully on my street. So I think that that's really important because when you are in a situation where you are trying to lead and you do not have power, oftentimes you are emotionally triggered. And you may know cognitively that there are things you can do, 
but you may also not be able to think of any. At the time, I couldn't think of anything I could do. And that's because my brain was shutting down and going into the freeze, fight, flight part of the brain, which is the survival part. And there is actually no blood flow in my brain to actually to think about strategies. And when I was no longer in that situation, I was able to make a list of all the things I could have done and ask myself why I didn't do them. And the reason I didn't do any of them was because I felt emotionally like I was a six-year-old being beat up. Everybody was suffering in that circumstance. But there were other circumstances that as a child where I would very courageously faced people who were doing things that were wrong. And in some cases, I was targeted again. And in other cases, I actually won my case. So I was just sort of surprised that I wasn't able to deal with this. If you are surprised by your emotional reaction, it's not something to blame yourself for. It's something to ask yourself, what is that trigger? And usually emotion sabotages the best strategies because we are emotional beings. And the less we admit that we have emotions, the more likely we are to be sabotaged by those emotions. And in that case, I also wasn't admitting that I was having an emotional reaction. I just thought I don't like working here. I feel sick. And that's it. I didn't think how do I feel about this? And it would have helped me in that moment to say, well, how do I feel about this? And what could be triggering this emotion? You can find this helpful too. If you're in a situation where you're leading with no power or where you don't lead when you could have taken a leadership position or solved a problem more effectively, ask yourself, what was I feeling and where did that come from? And that will help you to be stronger the next time an incident comes up. So I hope you found that useful. And we will continue with more. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to the solo episodes of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one and that you will consider submitting one of yours to marie at shiftworkplace.com so that everyone can benefit from learning from your example. Thanks again for listening, and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day 